everybody. Welcome to this week's live stream. My name is Ryan Pauly, where I challenge you to think deeper about Christianity. And this week, thinking deeper and gaining more knowledge on Christianity and science. One of my favorite topics and also really excited to announce this is my 50th different guest that I've had on the show, not just with YouTube in the past, but also with podcasting before that. So 50 different guests discussing different ideas related to Christianity and the Christian worldview. And so today I have the honor of interviewing Dr. John Lennox on his book and kind of the topic of science and faith. Dr. Lennox is Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at Oxford University. He's an internationally renowned speaker, interface with science and religion, philosophy, uh, he teaches at academic institutions, a senior fellow at the Trinity Forum, and written many books. Like I said, the one we're talking about today, Can Science Explain Anything? He has more recent books, like Where is God in a Coronavirus World? And so, uh, Dr. Lennox, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with me today. Oh, and it's a great honor to be your 50th guest. Yeah, it, it just worked out so perfectly. Um, yeah, and, and I really do appreciate the time, as you mentioned before, that this is your third interview today in California. You had one in Spain and one in New Zealand, so quite busy. Um, and really, your, your message getting out around the world, so I really appreciate it. Thank you. <clears throat> Um, all right, so we have a short amount of time together today, and so I really kind of want to jump in. And, and one of the things that uh, I think is really amazing, and, and maybe some of the videos that have really spread far and wide, is that you've debated some of the world's top atheists, like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, um, and others, and many others. Um, what has it kind of been like debating these atheists and kind of having, a, I guess, Christianity be put to the test on a kind of a, a big stage? Well, it can be rather scary, especially people like Richard Dawkins. But on the other hand, I think it's very important to debate these people because otherwise the wider public get the impression that atheism is the default position and that Christians don't have any real answers to the big questions in life. And so it's been a privilege for me to debate these people. And the arguments they bring, of course, I've familiarized myself with over the years. But when you're actually in the heat of the situation, you realize that, in a sense, this is Christianity on trial in you. And you have to be very sure that you represent Christianity, not only intellectually, but in your attitude to the people that you are debating. And so I try to be friendly and open, but incisive. I don't think there's any need to compromise truth and show unfriendliness. And it's been a very interesting experience. And of course, I've written about many of the themes that we discussed in those debates. Yeah, and that it's really kind of been cool to watch and, and see how kind of really, again, I think Chris, people have the idea that Christianity, maybe if people are Christians because they aren't learned or they don't know the scientific evidence. And so it's interesting seeing someone who, uh, who you have your degree in mathematics, a professor at Oxford, and debating some of the world's atheists and really seeing how these stack up. Yes, and, it's very strange, though, that view that Christians aren't learned because most of our major universities in the world were Christian foundations. Yeah. And it was Christianity in those early days that set the running for intellectual engagement with the big questions of life. Often I think people are just not aware of intellectual history and so they come up with this superficial 
kind of notion. And the one thing that they do not seem to have taken on board is that, in a sense, modern science is a gift of Christianity to the world because all the major pioneers like Newton and Galileo and Kepler and Clark Maxwell, they were all believers. And I think C.S. Lewis got it exactly right when he said men became scientific because they expected law and nature and they expected law and nature because they believed in a lawgiver. And that says it all to my mind. And yet I meet many people who are totally amazed at that fact. So uh, when you are in conversations with people, this question came in for you on Instagram. Um, you know, you're debating an atheist, you're in conversations, um, and we see kind of the, the early scientists, you know, uh, amazed at how, look, we expect to see design and creation with a designer, and this is what it kind of points to. Uh, what would you say then is kind of maybe the best argument for the existence of God for a non-believer? How can we present this truth in a convincing way to non-believers? Well, that's a generic question. And of course, non-believers are not a mass. They're individual people with very different backgrounds and presuppositions. So what seems to be a good argument for one turns out not to be a good (laughs) argument for another. But recognizing that, I, I think I would look at two sides. There's, to my mind, there's the objective side And then there's the experiential, the subjective side, and we need both. And as we look at the universe, there is a perception of design. And I think that intuition can be backed up by a lot of serious, hard thinking. And for me as a mathematician, one of the most obvious pointers towards God is the fact that the universe can be described to a certain extent in terms of mathematics. And... I mentioned Newton earlier. You see, he believed that science could be done. Why? Because he believed that there was a designer behind the universe. There's a mind behind it. And that's a very good line to follow in the sense that why should I as a scientist believe that science can be done? Christianity gives me a wonderful reason. Atheism doesn't. Hmm. Because atheism tells me that the mind with which I'm doing science is equal to the brain because they don't believe in a brain-mind distinction. And then they tell me that the brain is the end product of uh, a series of mindless, unguided processes. And I've often put it to distinguished scientists. I say, look, if you knew that the computer you use every day was the end product of a series of unguided natural processes, would you trust it? And every single person I've asked has said, no, I would not. Well, I said, you have a problem. Christianity gives me a reasonable um, way to understand why the human mind can do so much with the universe. Atheism doesn't. In fact, atheism, taken to its logical conclusion, undermines rationality. So that, to my mind, is a very good argument for a start. Yeah. Well, maybe could you maybe expand on that? Because you often hear this idea that it's Christians that have faith and don't have reason. And atheists is the, the position of reason and, and the naturalistic kind of based on science. So what do you mean yeah, by that's saying... nonsense. Yeah. That's very <laughs> obvious nonsense. Because atheists are people of faith, even though they so often say they are not. I mean, Christopher Hitchens, and I liked him, got on well with him said utterly ludicrous things like, 
um, our faith is not a faith. Our beliefs are not a belief. And Richard Dawkins said in his book, um, atheists have no faith. And yet he writes 400 pages on what he believes. This is just sheer nonsense. But I can understand why they do that. And why they do that is it's got into their heads that faith is by definition, believing where there's no evidence. Mm -hmm. That's not faith in the normal sense. That's blind faith. Faith in the ordinary sense comes from the Latin word fides, which, from which we get fidelity, trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. And all of us know what evidence-based faith is. We're crazy to trust facts or people if there's no evidence behind them. But somehow they've managed to convince the public that Christians are people of faith in the sense they blindly believe. Now, we need to immediately point out those two things. One, the Christian faith is evidence-based and we can give evidence. But secondly, atheism is a belief system. It is faith-based and it has very little evidence to support it. Hmm. So the boot is on the other foot completely. But many people just do not realize, and I have colleagues, very brilliant people, and they cannot bring themselves to see that everybody is a person of faith in something. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I'm asked to discuss faith and science, I say, look, faith in what? Because science itself is faith-based. Einstein pointed out that he couldn't imagine a genuine scientist without that faith. Not faith in God, but faith in the rational intelligibility of the universe. And I think one of my tasks, and yours as well, is to try to show people that everybody has a belief system. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is it true? Can it be backed up by rational evidence? It's not that Christians are people of faith and atheists are not. That's sheer nonsense. Yeah. And you have a very interesting interaction uh, with Richard Dawkins in one of your debates where he defines faith in this way of believing without any good reason. And then you said, do you have faith in your wife? And he goes, well, of course I do. <laughs> and kind of caught himself because he has faith in his wife, but for good reason. I asked him for the reasons that he gave them. So yeah. it shows that he understood. He was yeah. caught completely by that, but still plows on. It's... A very odd thing to find in a, a senior professor. Yeah, well, we are going to get a little bit to some of those uh, discussing how we can uh, kind of believe in Christianity and, 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 and how Christianity is reasonable and what backs it up. But to kind of back up, and I've shared this a lot on my show, is that uh, one of the things that got me into speaking was um, a, a youth group had a bunch of students graduate or a few students graduate, went off to college, started studying science, came back and told all the kids at church, you can't be a scientist and a Christian at the same time, and we pick science. And I frequently get this question after I speak on science and faith issues of, can I be a Christian and and a scientist. And I know you had a very interesting interaction early on in your career with a Nobel Prize winning scientist. So let me ask you, can you be a Christian and a scientist? Well, of course. Of course. I've just said the early scientists were all Christians. Yeah. And many people don't realize that between 1900 and 2000, 100 years, 65% of all Nobel Prize winners uh, were believers in God. Of course you can be a Christian and a scientist. It's the most natural thing. What I find difficult is how people can be scientists and atheists at the same time. Because I want to say that it's clear to me 
that science and Christianity fit beautifully together, but science and atheism don't fit together at all. That's the thing that needs to be explained. So I'd put the question the other way around. You tell me how you can be an atheist and a scientist. So can you maybe just, uh, is, it, is that because of the what you've discussed of the, the, the reason and that you cannot trust your brain, which is what's doing that's the science? Part, is that the main, is that part, part of it? But because atheism cannot cope with many things, it cannot cope with the existence of morality, for example. And then you can go into the failure of materialism to cope with one of the fundamental problems in biology, the origin of life. Here we have this incredible genetic system based partly at least on DNA, which is the longest word we've ever discovered in terms of chemistry and acts in part as a database for building organisms. There's absolutely no progress been made on finding out how that could come about with natural unguided processes because yeah. every aspect of it, the micro miniature molecular machines of which there are thousands in every human cell they speak of design nobody's ever seen anything like any one of those mechanisms that hasn't been designed with a purpose and yet blithely people say oh well they are only apparently designed they're not really designed yeah. and what you get often is what i call an evolution of the gaps they can't explain how it happened but evolution did it and yet they're the same people that say, well, Christians believe in a God of the gaps. They can't explain it, so they say God did it. And one has to have an answer to that, of course. The reason when I look at DNA and say, see, it's the longest word in that sense that we've ever discovered, I would much prefer an explanation that makes sense. That is attributing it to mind than an explanation that makes no sense whatsoever. And that is attributing it to chance and necessity. So that's not a God of the gaps. That is giving an explanation, an inference to the best explanation that actually has got explanatory power, whereas atheism does not. Yeah. Now, I think that kind of goes along with what uh, the conversation again with the Nobel Prize winning scientists where they said, hey, if you want to have a career in the science field, right, you have to give up this silly belief in God. That's correct, right. yes. And yeah. he then... I asked him what he had to give me that was better than what I got. And he yeah. came across with a very foolish piece of philosophy. And he ought to have known better because the philosopher actually wanted to become a, a Catholic Christian hmm. at one stage. The man just didn't know what he was talking about. But yeah. he tried to use his intellectual authority, which was considerable, to push me away from faith in God. And that actually had a very deep effect on my life. I determined that if ever I was in an academic position of any substance, that's the last thing I would try to do with mm. people. I want to get into an open debate, let people hear various sides of an argument and let them make up their own minds. Yeah, It was a seriously important event in my intellectual development, so to speak. 
Yeah. And I, and I think that's interesting because a lot of people and what we've been talking about and the reason why I think your response is so good is that you said, you know, what do you have to offer me than, than what's better than what I got? And I think yeah. a lot of maybe students are persuaded out of faith, out of the church, out of Christianity, maybe by science, because they do think it's offering something better, something more rational, something more reasonable than the faith that they've been taught. Yeah, that's a sad thing. And I'm afraid a lot of the difficulty is created by churches that aren't dealing with the questions that people ask. Mm -hmm. There was a survey done a few years ago in my country, and they asked the question, why do you leave the church? And the number one answer by far was because they don't answer our questions. And that's why we need articulate Christians in the professions. The problem is many pastors have gone straight into pastoring without having much experience of real life and not having developed the skills they may have learned at university and science and all the rest of it. We need real working scientists to explain to the Christian community of which they're part how it is that science and Christianity work together. And there's a vast amount of ignorance out there because many of the questions one gets, sadly, are questions that just stem from ignorance. And they can be solved in a few minutes just by giving people some information, which is, I'm delighted to say, the business that you're in at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hope to give is people some deeper information to help them think. That's, and that's so, right. Yeah, and so one thing that you talk about in your book, Can Science Explain Everything, is this idea that we learn to take science seriously in school and at the university and, and all the science classes we take, but we're not necessarily taught how to take ancient documents seriously. Um, like scripture. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So what would that be your encouragement then? Sorry? What would be your encouragement? How can we maybe motivate or how do we begin to start taking scripture as seriously as maybe we do the sciences? Well, certainly we're not going to become articulate Christians by spending five minutes in the Bible late at night before we go to sleep. Yeah. We need to realize that scripture is full of big answers to big questions. Now, I had help in this. I had a mentor. And people watching us can access his thinking. He actually was a very famous professor of Latin and Greek. So he was an expert on the biblical documents. But what he did was to teach me to think about scripture. His name is Dr. David Gooding, G-O-O-D-I-N-G. And if anybody watching is interested, because this you can only do this by doing it. If you look up the website of Myrtlefield House, Myrtlefield House, M-Y-R-T-L-E-F-I-E-L-D House, you can download a great deal of material. And there he shows how to take scripture seriously. Now, I have written a couple of books with his kind of methodology at the back of my mind, and they can be helpful to people. One is a book on Daniel, and it's called Against the Flow. Uh, and the second one is the story of Joseph, where in the Old Testament, both of them, where I show that these are texts that can be taken very seriously because they're dealing at a deep level 
with some of the fundamental issues in life. So that's one of my contributions to this. But David Gooding has produced a vast array of material. As I say, it is downloadable and available for people that want it. Very good. And you know, this morning, just this, or actually, I think it was last night, um, I was on Twitter and I saw a high school teacher post and say, hey, I want to start sharing some kind of words of wisdom, sermons and thoughts with people, with my high school students. What kind of video clips would you suggest? And I sent about a six minute clip of you on YouTube uh, talking about how people say they have no time and yes. how that much time we spend in front of our digital devices and if we would just take seriously the reading of the word of God and how much that would change. And I think that is such... Uh, such beautiful wisdom and importance uh, yes, for it us is. today. People mustn't pretend they've no time. All yeah. they have to do, especially young people, is ask themselves, how much time have I spent in the last 24 hours on a digital machine, on material that's nothing to do with my school or college work or my job? Yeah. And there you have your answer. What people love, they will spend time with. And the sad thing is that this superficial attitude to scripture reflects the fact that although God loves them, they don't really love God. If a chap or a girl gets a letter from their girlfriend or boyfriend, they spend ages reading it and seeing its implications and Smelling so on. It. And uh, well, exactly, <laughs> that as well. So it's very important for us to realize that scripture comes from someone who loves us so much, he wants to delve into the deeper issues of life and not just the uh, little bits of comfort that we get when we're down or in difficulty. Yeah. So one of the, I think, issues kind of coming back to science is that uh, we talk about taking the Bible seriously, and at least a lot of my students go, how can I take the Bible seriously when it talks about these miracles? And you hear the claim that miracles are, are breaking and a violation of the laws of nature. So how do we take miracles seriously in a scientific world that we live well, in today? Well, I often say to such people, have you read anything about this? Because what you're quoting to me are the views of David Hume, but they've been overthrown long ago. If you simply Google books on uh, miracles, uh, you will find many very serious books that answer the question. Hume was actually wrong when he said miracles are violations of the laws of nature. They are not. And that comes from a wrong concept of law in nature. It's, that's the jurisprudence concept of law. In your country, you'll often see a notice on the street, violators will be towed. And that's the concept of state or federal law. But you see, the laws of nature are just descriptions of what normally happens. They're not causes, as C.S. Lewis pointed out. So let me give you Lewis's brilliant illustration to show that Hume was wrong. If I stay in a hotel, in there near where you are in California, and I put $100 into the drawer, bedside drawer, in the first night, and $100 the second night. That's $200. One plus one is two. And I wake up in the third morning, and I find $50 in the drawer. Now, what do I conclude? Do I conclude that the laws of arithmetic have been broken or that the laws of California have been broken? And the point is, I conclude that the laws of California have been broken because I know that the laws of arithmetic have not been broken. Mm -hmm. You see, the laws of arithmetic can't keep the money in the drawer. 
they simply tell me what happens if you've got 100 plus 100, but they can't prevent a thief putting his or her hand in and taking $150. And that illustration is very powerful because it, it shows us where the confusion lies. You see, in order to recognize a miracle, you must live in a world where there are laws. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you wouldn't recognize a miracle if you saw one. The point is, they tell you what normally happens, provided nothing intervenes in the situation. Yeah. The law of gravity will tell me if I drop an app, a little hit the ground, but it doesn't stop you catching it before it hits the ground. Mm-hmm. And so it's very simple to see that Hume was simply wrong. And we live in a universe where we've discovered the laws and can formulate many of them mathematically. And they help us to realize that, for example, dead people normally do not rise. So that if Jesus raises someone from the dead or rises himself, we recognize that something else is happening. Mm -hmm. And you see, Christians don't claim that Jesus rose from the dead because of the workings of nature. They're very careful to say that God raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, he fed something new into the system. And our mistake, like mine with the drawer in the hotel, was that this was a closed system of cause and effect, but it wasn't. And this universe is not a closed system of cause and effect. It's an open system. That's how I'd start to deal with that. But I have looked at that in considerable detail in the last couple of chapters of my book, Gunning for God, which Mm -hmm. you flashed up on the screen earlier. People might find that helpful because I really go into David Hume's objections seriously. Very good, yeah. And I have that listed in the description below, so with the link, so you guys can pick that up. Um, now, one of the, you know, the the illustration you use about the mind being designed uh, or not designed, and would you trust it? I use that frequently with my students. The other thing I use frequently with my students is a analogy I heard from you about how science. Um, can explain maybe one aspect of why things happen, but not kind of another why. And you use the example yeah. of a boiling a pot of tea. So could you maybe run through of how science is limited in its explanations of why? Yes. Well, let me do it in the positive direction. Yeah. There are different kinds of explanation. Scientific explanation is one. So if we think of boiling water, we can give a scientific explanation of heat being transferred from a gas flame and being conducted through the copper base of a kettle, agitating the molecules of water. That's a scientific explanation. But then I could say, well, the kettle is boiling actually because I would like a cup of coffee. That's a person agent explanation. Now think of them, they're very different explanations, but they don't conflict, they don't even compete, they complement each other, both are true. And both are necessary for a full explanation. And the mistake that many people make, and we call it scientism, and that's where the title of my book comes from, Can Science Explain Everything? No, it can't. And uh, we just need to see. In fact, it's so easy to see. I find kids at school in the lower grades can understand this when some professors in universities don't understand it. That is just a very simple observation, and it would take the heat out of a great deal of the debate when we see that the God explanation 
is not the same as a science explanation any more than Henry Ford is the same explanation for a Ford motor car than automobile engineering is or physics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's so good to understand these different ways in which we can answer questions. And I think too, again, the limitations of science. It, it's, I just yeah, trust science, cool. but you know, this idea of scientism is self-refuting. Um, so we, and we just got a couple minutes left, and I, I maybe have two short questions. And the first one is, uh, you often hear with science and Christianity is the Big Bang kind of proves creation false. What would you say in response to this? Well, that's nonsense again. The Big <laughs> Bang, what does the Big Bang say? It says there was a beginning. It doesn't say how it was caused. It simply is a label on a mystery. And in fact, the man who coined it, whom I knew, Sir Fred Hoyle, hmm. he coined it as a joke. You and yeah. your big bang, because he didn't believe it. Yeah. The point is, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Physics says there was a big bang. Now, those two things don't conflict or compete. They're different ways of looking at the fact there was a beginning. Yeah. And the most important thing there, which is often missed, is for centuries, in fact, thousands of years, the Bible has been saying there was a beginning. Science didn't get there until the 1960s. And mm-hmm. <laughs> Dawkins, when I debated him once, he said, well, there's not no big deal there. Uh, it's either there was a beginning or there wasn't. And you can take your choice. But I said, it wasn't decided in science by simply taking choice. It took a huge amount of evidence to convince yeah. scientists that Aristotle was wrong and that there was a beginning to space time. And yeah. the Bible did get it right. Yeah. So we have a confirmation, so to speak, at the moment. Science changes, of course. Yeah. But it seems pretty clear that the vast consensus among astrophysicists is that space-time had a beginning. That's what scripture said for centuries. So I say, well, perhaps we need to take the biblical worldview more seriously. So if we see this seriously and we take this seriously, we see how Christianity and science line up and the evidence seems to really be there and be compelling. Why doesn't everyone believe? Why are there still people that think that science can explain everything and that atheism offers us more than Christianity? Well, as I say, a lot of it is due to ignorance. But secondly, the truth of Christianity involves moral truth and conviction. And that's where many people, and I've known them, who have examined Christianity carefully and come to the conclusion that it's true, but they say, no, I'm not prepared to change my life because they realize that belief in Christ is not simply belief in a proposition, it's commitment to a person and a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And Jesus raises some painful things that at least we may regard as painful at the beginning because he wants to give us a life that's very much more meaningful and deep than the one we have at the moment. And most of us have messed up somewhere. And what Christ demands is that we repent of that, face it, and trust him as Lord to give us forgiveness, peace with God, a new power to live and develop. And that is morally demanding. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason I think that Christ makes more demands than a science book. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, Dr. Lennox, uh, man, our time has flown by, but I have so thoroughly enjoyed this. I so appreciate you take the time, taking the time to have this conversation with me and my guests. Um, I've, I mentioned some of your books and Where is God in a Coronavirus World? Is there anything else that you kind of want to leave us with, with things you're working on or other ways that people can learn more about what you're doing? Because I know you're at home, you're producing a lot, and I want to point people to what you're doing. I think the thing is to have a look at my website, johnlennox.org. Yeah. And you'll find loads of lectures, book adverts, and all this kind of thing. But Perfect. thank you very much. I've enjoyed the discussion immensely. Thank you so much. And that link to his website is below, so you can check that out as well. Dr. Lennox, thank you so much. Goodbye. All right. I hope you guys all enjoyed that short conversation, good conversation looking at science and faith, causing you to think more deeply about that. Uh, next week on Thursday, September 24th, I think. Yep. September 24th, 3.30 p.m. Pacific time. Dr. Hugh Ross is going to be coming on to discuss his new book, Climate Change, a weathering climate change and looking at Earth's climate history and how that really is evidence for design. And so that'll be the topic next week. As always, if you're watching this later, there'll be some videos that pop up here in the corners that you can check out and you can connect at social media and follow all the things that is happening here. Guys, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this, share it with a friend, like it, subscribe, and I will see you guys next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless. I just ask you to leave. Won't hesitate to follow. Your love will guide.